Hello, everybody. It's April 10th, and this is day 100 in this year's journey on the One Year Bible Tour. That's right. For those of you who started reading the Bible with us on January 1st, in the book of Genesis, in the first chapters of Matthew, Psalms, and Proverbs, think of the progress you have made. And not only have you been reading the Bible consecutively for 100 days, but today, on day 100, you will have completed reading the Torah, the five books of Moses. Today, we complete the book of Deuteronomy and start the book of Joshua. So are you ready to cross the River Jordan into the Promised Land? Let's get out our gear, put on your spiritual binoculars so you don't miss any of the important territory that we'll cover today. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and I'm blessed to have you with us for this leg of the journey as we read the Old and New Testaments today and take our daily refreshing dip into the Bible songbook, the book of Psalms, and its treasure chest of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. Before we cross the Jordan, we have some sad business to attend to. We will witness the death of Moses. But don't worry, it's not the last that we see of him in the Bible. He appears again with Jesus some hundreds of years later on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, on to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, beginning with verse 1. The Death of Moses Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negeb, and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And so we leave behind the book of Deuteronomy, and now we move to the book of Joshua. Chapter 1. God Commissions Joshua After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. 
Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them, until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Chapter 2 Rahab Hides the Spies And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, 
our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house, and give me a sure sign, that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a man is laid on any one who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament, this time from both the books of Deuteronomy and Joshua. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have read. We started to attribute to Moses. This last chapter in Deuteronomy is written by the hand of another. As predicted, Moses, at the age of 120, climbed Mount Nebo and died there, in the land of Moab, having seen the promised land but not permitted to enter it apart from Jesus. We don't see him again until he appears more than a thousand years later with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He is in the promised land by the work of another. The grace of the Lord was with him. Having sustained him during his remarkable life, although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 7. The book of Deuteronomy closes with a fitting tribute to the servant of God, whom the people of Israel will mourn for thirty days. Since then no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, for all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants, and all his land, and for all the mighty power, and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Deuteronomy 34 verses 10 through 12. These words held true during the days of the one who wrote them. They would hold true until the coming of the one whom Moses predicted. In Deuteronomy 18:15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, 
you shall listen to him. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, while he was still speaking, that is Jesus, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, Jesus has been found worthy of a greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Jesus' name is derived from Yahshua. Yeshua, Joshua. It means God to the rescue, our salvation. The focus now shifts to Joshua. Joshua is publicly commissioned in Numbers chapter 27, verse 23, as the new leader of the nation, filled with the spirit of wisdom in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9. The people pledged to give him their obedience in Joshua chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. John Wesley once wrote, God buries his workmen, but carries on his work. The good news is that the Lord speaks to Joshua, reassuring him with many promises, the most important being the promise of his presence. Now it came to pass after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land that I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. In verse 5 we read, There shall not be any man able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. We are given a similar promise that we should put our hearts at rest, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. The work Moses had done was essential preparation for the work that Joshua would do. The law that came by Moses brings the knowledge of sin and our need for the atonement for our sin. What the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, our greater Joshua, does. In Joshua chapter 3, Joshua does what Moses could not do. He enters the promised land. Each workman takes up a work, grateful for those who have pioneered the way. When our work is finished, there will be more work to do. The book of Joshua is concerned with the work of Canaan's conquest in chapters 1 through 12 and its settlement in chapters 13 through 24. We see Joshua as the leader in warfare and government. The book of Joshua anticipates the New Testament book of Ephesians. Joshua leads the redeemed people of God to possess their possessions, taking their allotted inheritance in Canaan. In the book of Ephesians, the believer is called to lay hold of their inheritance in Christ. They too will be instructed in spiritual warfare and government. They will be exhorted to walk worthy of their calling and fight the good fight of faith. The book of Joshua covers a period of approximately 50 years. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. It may be hard for us to grasp, but it is true nonetheless. The Lord Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who came to make peace, reconciling us to God by the sacrifice of Himself on the cross, giving us His personal peace, and establishing His rule in our hearts by the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit, is a God of war. Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. Psalm 24, 8. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed with fine linen, white and clean, 
were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is sometimes hard for people to apprehend this attribute of Jesus. In righteousness he judges and wages war. We are blinded by our own sin, failing to see that our sin incurs God's anger. Jesus said this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John 3, verse 36. Paul tells us that we are born spiritually dead and subject to the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience, and we're by nature children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. God is at war with sin. In righteousness he judges sin at the cross of Christ. It is only when we meet the Lord there that his wrath can be turned away, his warfare accomplished, and we can find peace. Jesus came to give us peace, but at the cost of his lifeblood. He destroyed the works of the devil and secured victory over the enemy of death. He calls us to stand in what he has won for us. The battle is the Lord's. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If God is not a God of war, He cannot be a God of love. It is His eternal, undying love that provokes Him to make war against all that would prevent His own from being restored to their true inheritance in Him. So the Lord commissions His warrior Joshua, repeating the admonition, Be strong and very courageous. Joshua chapter 1, verse 6, 7, and 9. His uncompromising obedience to the law and trust in God's ability to fulfill His promise would be the key to His success. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Joshua 1.8 This reminds us of the Lord Jesus, the greater Joshua, who offered perfect obedience to God, successfully accomplishing our redemption. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7 reads, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. In Joshua chapter 2 we read about Rahab, When your life hangs by a thread. Jericho was the first city to be taken. It is thought to have been a military garrison. It guarded three intersecting travel routes from the Jordan Valley to population centers in the hill country, Jerusalem, Bethel, and Orpah. Israel's war was directed toward government and military installments. Jericho was a small settlement with probably 100 soldiers. This is why all Israel could circle it seven times and then attack it in the same day. Jericho represents the first fruit of victory. Everything in Jericho was to be devoted to judgment. Jericho represents the self-life of the human soul. It is under the ban of the cross. We must be willing to let all that is of the old life in Adam go. If we attempt to save it, we will lose it. If we lose it, surrender it to the cross, we shall find our true life in Christ. The spies go into this Canaanite military stronghold. There is no archaeological evidence that Jericho or Ai has civilian populations. They stay at what may have been the only inn. The author of the book 
Jericho and Ai, Richard Hess, believes that Rahab, a female innkeeper, and her household were the only non-combatants in Jericho. Rahab hides the spies and protects them from the agents of Jericho's king. She confesses faith in the God of Israel. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Joshua 2, verse 11. The testimony of the greatness of their God had caused fear to come upon the people of Jericho. The two spies in Jericho have a similar task to the Word and the Spirit in the conversion of the human soul. Rahab, once she receives the spies, pleads for her household's salvation from the judgment that is due to come upon her city. The spies agree to save her life if a cord of scarlet thread is hung from her window. Rahab responds with the obedience of faith. Four things are said about the cord. Number one, it was scarlet in color. This reminds us of sin. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, Though your sins be like scarlet, obvious and recognizable, such as in Rahab's trade, sin must be acknowledged. Scarlet also reminds us of the blood of the atoning sacrifice. Scarlet points towards the greater salvation provided by the sinless life of Jesus Christ offered as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. In Leviticus chapter 17, 11, do you remember we read, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood, by reason of the life, that makes atonement. The spies bound themselves to the promise that those who stayed in the house that had the mark of scarlet were to be safe from harm, as were firstborn sons when the angel of death passed over on that fateful day in Egypt, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13. Otherwise, they would take upon themselves the guilt of their shed blood. Number two, it was made of thread. Joshua chapter 2, verse 18. Rahab had let the spies down from her window by a rope as the means of their escape from Jericho. This scarlet thread was not something that would be considered as a sufficient means of escape to the natural mind. The natural mind understands nothing of the things of God and does not regard the blood of Christ as a sufficient means for our salvation. Number three, we learn that it was a cord. That cord would be the object of her faith. It represents the saving work of Christ. Cords have been the means of deliverance to others in Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 6 and verse 11, including the spies in chapter 2, verse 15. Rahab was to trust the cord as the spies had trusted the ability of the rope as a means of deliverance. Number four, it was to be placed in the window. The cord was to be displayed for the purpose of identification. The cord would be visible to the spies on the outside. It was a sign of the covenant commitment they had made. Now let's go to the New Testament reading, which is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, verses 22 through chapter 14, verse 6. The Narrow Door He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. 
In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. Lament over Jerusalem. Verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Chapter 14 Healing of a Man on the Sabbath One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. This is the end of our New Testament reading. Jesus answers the question, Will those who are saved be few? With a reminder that without faith it is impossible to please him. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. He answers the same question in Matthew chapter 7, verse 14, when he says, For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The gospel demands a response. Strive to enter the gate. This refers to the need for repentance, recognizing that you are a sinner, turning from your life of sin and casting yourself upon Jesus, trusting Him as Savior and submitting to Him as Lord. Luke 13, verse 24 does not teach salvation by works. The striving work called for here is believing the gospel. This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. John 6, verse 29. What do we need to do to go to hell? Nothing. Just stay on the road you were born on, walking according to the course of this world in Ephesians 2, 2. Matthew 7, verse 13 says, For the gate is wide and the broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. What do we need to do to be saved? Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia, meaning change your way of thinking. You cannot save yourself. You are a sinner who needs a Savior, and there is only one Savior who can save us from God's wrath against sin, Jesus, who made a perfect atonement for those who will believe on Him. There is a difference between believing in something and believing on someone. Believing on means that you are personally casting the full weight of your trust upon Him. It is believing that Jesus died for your sins and that He paid your debt, and you are trusting Him and His finished work on the cross exclusively for your right standing before God in the day of judgment. 
Jesus then gives the explanation that many presume a saving relationship with him just because they heard of him, saw him, attended his meetings, and even dinners with him. But they never came to him from a place of recognizing their sin and their need to trust him as Lord and Savior. Verse 25 of chapter 13 says, Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, open up to us, then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then he will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. Jesus was letting them know that unless you believe that he is who he says he is, the one and only sin-bearing substitute, you are still in your sins. There were those who recognized the likelihood of Jesus being killed in Jerusalem, and they tried to deter him from going there. Jesus resolutely stays on mission. He expresses his compassionate desire that the people of Jerusalem, who had a history of killing its prophets, would turn from their sin, but acknowledges that they were not willing to repent and trust him as their Messiah. This again clarifies that there are two aspects to God's will, his will of desire, how often I would have gathered you, and his will of decree, and you were not willing. Luke 13, verse 34. The early Christians in Jerusalem recognize how God used the people's rejection of Christ for His purpose. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Acts 4, verse 27 and 28. Jesus then exposes the hypocrisy of the religious leaders who criticized Him for healing a man of dropsy, abnormal swelling of his body. He recognizes that they would rescue their animal on the Sabbath if necessary, yet they would let one of their own countrymen suffer in order to safeguard their self-righteous Sabbath-keeping. Now let's go to today's reading from the book of Psalms, the Bible songbook, Psalm 79, a Psalm of Asaph. O God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food, the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you, and on the kingdoms that do not call upon your name, for they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his habitation. Do not remember against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins, for your name's sake. Why should the nations say, Where is their God? Let the avenging of the outpoured blood of your servants be known among the nations before our eyes. Let the groans of the prisoners come before you. According to your great power, preserve those doomed to die. Return sevenfold into the lap of our neighbors the taunts with which they have taunted you, O Lord. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, We will recount your praise. And this is the end of our reading from the book of Psalms. The psalmist is feeling the defeat suffered by Jerusalem as it's overtaken by enemies. 
He feels the reproach, scorn, derision heaped upon God's people by neighboring countries in verses 1 through 4. There is a cry for vindication that we often hear in the Bible. How long before you take action, before you turn the tables on our enemies? There is the call for forgiveness and an appeal to God's mercy in verse 8. The pivotal moment comes when one recognizes their need, their real need and true desperation. In verse 8, Do not remember the iniquities of our forefathers against us. Let your compassion come quickly to meet us, for we are brought very low. The psalmist recognizes that as those identified with the one true God, that his reproaches would fall on them also. The result is praise from generation to generation. And now for today's proverb. The book of Proverbs, chapter 12, verse 26. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. People keep an eye on those who call themselves Christians. What kind of Christian are you? What kind of neighbor are you? Are you a signpost to Jesus? Let's be careful that we do not lead people astray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your mercies. How merciful it is to know that we can cast the full weight of our trust upon your one and only plan of salvation, relying completely on the merits of your Son. In Him we have the forgiveness of our sins and a revelation of your compassion. May this day be full of praises coming from our lips. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today and completing day 100. We look forward to going to day 101 tomorrow as we continue our journey through the Bible. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us by sending an email to podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to know more about the ministries of New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts or New Life Fine Arts, visit us at our websites, newlife.org or newlifefinearts.org. And God bless you. Have a great day. Shalom.